Today's message is titled Divine Intervention. A few weeks ago, I was reading the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and of Mary and Joseph and the birth of Jesus. And I penned these words in my journal. I like to make mind maps, so if something stands out for me, I put a little circle on the page and I wrote divine intervention. And then I just began to make notes of all the divine interventions of God that I could see in the story in Luke chapter one. And I'd made these notes and I was pondering on them when I sensed that the Lord wanted me to share this today with you. So I asked the Father, I said, Father, what is on your heart for your people? And he said the following, I want my people to take their eyes off their stories and place them onto my story to have a fresh sense of wonder at the divine intervention that ushered in the birth of my son. When they do this, they will be able to step back into their stories with a new sense of humility, humbly surrendering to me and allowing me to weave their stories into my story. You know, we have a wonderful heavenly father his heart is for us. He loves us to the utmost. In 2 Corinthians 6 verse 18, he says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. I will be a father to you. Let that sink in. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and my daughters. In 1 John 4 verse 16, we read, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. Does this verse resonate with you? Do you know how much God loves you? And have you put your trust in his love? As I share the word today, I invite you to do two things. Firstly, to step out of your story and to marvel at God's story as we reflect on the divine intervention surrounding the birth of Jesus. And secondly, a little bit later on, to then humbly step back into your own story, but with fresh faith and with fresh humility to trust the Lord for his divine interventions in your life. Now our scripture reading for today is Luke chapter one, verse 26 to 38. I'm reading from the New King James Version, so please will you turn there in your Bibles and uh, if your Bible isn't the New King James Version, maybe you wanna pull out your phone, uh, find your Bible app, and go to Luke chapter one, verse 26 to 38 in the New King James Version. You're welcome to keep your Bibles open throughout the service. Now, in the sixth month, that sixth month that he's talking about is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, it says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. 
Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then, the Mary, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. What a beautiful line. That Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. <laughs> for with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We thank the Lord for his word. His word is wonderful. It is alive. It feeds our souls. I'm personally so grateful to the Lord for his word. I'm grateful that we can read this story. And just like that, we can go back in time. And if I can almost put it, we can witness an incredible holy moment where Gabriel speaks to Mary and tells her that she is the virgin that will have the Messiah. You know, this is like holy ground. Feels like even as we read it, even now there should be a sense of reverence in our hearts based on what God has been doing in the history of the world. Now, in this story, we read about two pregnant ladies. We read about Elizabeth and we read about Mary, both of them having experienced a divine intervention. So I'm gonna start off with Elizabeth and point number one is divine intervention one, which is a barren womb opened. A barren womb opened. You know, it's quite incredible that the angel Gabriel, in order to encourage Mary in her faith, he told her that her relative, Elizabeth, was also with child. Now, her cousin, Elizabeth, was much, much older than her, and she, for many years, had been called barren. It's quite hard when your identity is called that, barren. And uh, we read this. It says, uh, now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Maybe someone is here or there could be someone watching online and you need to be reminded of this today, that nothing is impossible with God. Friends, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Elizabeth was married to Zechariah, and he was a priest. 
Both of them were descendants of Aaron, and uh, so they were Levites. They were Levites. Um, you know, the Levites believed that they had God as their inheritance. So when all the tribes were given certain land, the Levites got no land. Did you know that? They got no land. And God said to the Levites, I am your inheritance and your very great reward. The Levites got the best inheritance, God himself. And so perhaps in this barrenness, they had found comfort in the fact that God was their inheritance, even though they must have longed for a child. In Luke 1 verse 67, the Bible tells us that they were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. It's a beautiful reputation to have. Upright in the sight of God, observing all his laws and regulations blamelessly. I believe that we as children of God, as Christians, as believers, should have a reputation of righteousness, a reputation of joy, a reputation of love. Love is really important. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples by your love. Now, the Bible says that they, 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 they observed all these laws and regulations blamelessly, but it says they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Now, have you ever prayed for something and then waited and waited and waited and longed and then wondered if God even heard you and then wondered if God, maybe he did hear you, but he wasn't going to say yes. I believe that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have been able to say yes to that question because they prayed. They had prayed for a child. They had prayed for a child. In Luke 1 verse 13 we read, when the angel Gabriel met with Zechariah, he said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. Your prayer has been heard. Your prayer, your prayers have been heard. Your prayer has been heard. In 1 Peter 3, amen, amen, Lord. He hears our prayers. In 1 Peter 3 verse 12, the Bible tells us that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. I love this picture of God watching over us watching, seeing us, listening as we utter those cries and those prayers to him. I can remember praying and praying and praying for a girlfriend. <laughs> when I was in my 20s, I prayed a lot. I especially prayed around this time of the year because I really wanted to have a girlfriend during the holidays. Like, not only for the holidays, but like, like, I just thought it would be so nice to have a girlfriend when you're on holiday. And so, like, every year, I'd like pray and pray, and I asked the Lord for a girlfriend. And, and I, there was just no girlfriend. <laughs> the Lord heard my prayer, though. He heard all those prayers through my 20s, but He only answered it in my early 30s. Yeah, but He answered it, and He gave me a girlfriend. <laughs> And uh, she's now my wife, and so now I have a girlfriend and a wife for my holidays. 
do you know that there's a difference between praying in faith and praying with hope? There's a difference between these two, praying in faith and praying in hope. And uh, think for a moment about Abraham. Abraham is an example to us of waiting in faith. He waited in faith. His wife, Sarah, like Elizabeth, had been barren. But God had promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. He had taken Abraham outside. He said, look up, Abraham. And Abraham had looked up and he said, if you can count these stars, that is how numerous your descendants will be. And Abraham believed God. He believed that he would have many, many descendants. He had a promise from God and he waited in faith from that moment on because he knew that God would watch over his word to perform it. God had promised, God would keep his promise, he would watch over that word and that they would have children and those children would have children and the children would have children until they're as numerous as the stars in the sky. Abraham waited in faith. Now Zechariah and Elizabeth faced a different reality. Up until this point, they had received no promise of a child. They hadn't. God hadn't promised that they would have a child up until this point. So they had prayed and they had waited year after year after year and they'd prayed, but theirs was a waiting in hope. They hoped to have a child one day and they prayed for a child, but God hadn't given them a word. I believe that they experienced the first part of Proverbs 13 verse 12 that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. It's got something when you're waiting and hoping for something, and it's just not coming. Your heart feels sick. But then an angel messenger came, and he brought them a message from God that they would have a song, a song, a son. <laughs> Isaac's name was Laughter, but John's was, name was Beloved, and uh, that they would have a son. And from that moment, their waiting moved from a waiting in hope to a waiting in faith because God had spoken. There was a little momentary doubt where John looked at the circumstances and said, but how's this gonna happen? Because, um, you know, where Zechariah said, how's this gonna happen? Because I'm old and my wife's old. And for that reason, he couldn't speak for the duration of the pregnancy. I read a commentary the other day that said, it was a great mercy of the Lord for taking away his speech because it prevented him from perpetuating in his unbelief. Incredible, eh? But I believe that when he couldn't speak and afterwards as he thought about the words of the angel and then when Elizabeth conceived, their waiting was a waiting in faith because God had spoken. We can learn a lot from this. We can firstly learn that God hears our prayers. Prayers of faith and prayers of hope. He hears both prayers. And we can learn that God is a God of divine intervention. It's what he does best. This is where he works, in the miraculous. We serve a God of the supernatural, okay? He's a God of divine interventions. And we can learn that God can open barren wombs. I'm not just referring to literal barren wombs, although I'm speaking about that as well. And Pam and I have a testimony of a miracle child from God too. We do. But I'm referring 
to God opening a way in any barren situation. A barren marriage, God can make a way. In a barren marriage, God can make a way. A barren business, God can make a way. God can make a way. He can drop you one idea. He can bring one person across your path. He can cause one thing to break through. God can make a way in a barren business. A barren relationship between a parent and a child, God can make a way. God can make a way. He can restore that. He's a God of divine interventions. So divine intervention number one, a barren womb open. And I pray that even now, some of you in those barren places are saying, Lord, do it for me. Lord, do it for me. And I pray that God will be hearing your prayers and that he's moving in the spiritual realm and that he's acting before you even let that prayer leave your lips in Jesus' name. Divine intervention number two is a virgin with child. A virgin with child. In Jeremiah 32 verse 17 we read, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arms. Will you let yourself picture that? Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is too difficult. I used to sing this song when I was a little oak in Sunday school. And uh, this tune and these words are like ingrained in me. Like I can, I can sing them in the shower. I know this song, I know this tune. We even sang it in King James English. So as a little oak, I could sing King James English. Uh, and the song goes like this. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Can you remember the rest? Ah, oh, some of you do. I'm not gonna sing the rest because Facebook shuts off our online feed if they hear an original artist, so. <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna like, like the laugh, so Simon, I, I won't take it personally. But I have been at the church for 17 years and they've never invited me to be in the worship team, so that says something. But what a profound declaration. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Guys, I don't know what you're facing, but I can tell you now, that thing that you think is too difficult is not too difficult for God. Absolutely nothing. Not even a virgin to become pregnant. Not even that. It's not difficult in the least for God. It wasn't difficult at all for Mary to become pregnant for God. It wasn't. In, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we actually read how the virgin birth was prophesied. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And from that moment on, God's people were waiting for the Messiah. And their sign of the Messiah would be a virgin with child. That was their sign. Our sign that we are waiting for, for the return of the Messiah, is Jesus returning in the clouds, just like he ascended to heaven. 
that is the sign that we are waiting for. And that too will come to pass. And that is not difficult for God either. He's a God of impossible things. So, Isaiah 7 verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. God is with us. And that's exactly Jesus. Jesus came, God with us. If there's anyone in this auditorium or anyone watching or listening, and perhaps you are searching for the truth, maybe you're wanting to know more about Christianity. You've explored other religions. Maybe you've even been raised in a different religion. Well, at the core of the Christian faith is a God who loves us, a God who longs for a relationship with us. A God who longs for a relationship with us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, into the world so that he could come into the world and that he could identify with us and walk on this earth so that he knows what it's like to walk on this earth. Jesus lived here for 33 years. He knows about the love of a family and friends. He knows. Jesus knows about hard work and about the need just to earn an honest living. Jesus knows. He knows about the joy of attending a wedding celebration. He didn't uh, celebrate Christmas Eve dinner, I don't think. Okay, because like it was his birthday. So he, he had birthdays every year, but they were just called his birthday. Jesus knows about the loss of a loved one. He even knows about betrayal. He even knows about betrayal. But it all started with a divine intervention, with a virgin pregnant with child. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and she conceived. The long-awaited Messiah was within her womb. That's incredible. The long-awaited Messiah was living and growing in her womb. Now let's ponder on Mary for a moment because God's divine intervention often involves a willing person, someone completely surrendered to his will. And Mary is perhaps the best example of this in the Bible. With childlike faith, she utters these words, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. What a response. What a faithful response. In the New Living Translation, it reads as follows. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. In the Passion Version of the Bible, it reads really beautifully. This is what it says in the Passion Version. Then Mary responded saying, yes, I will be a mother for the Lord. Don't you love that? All the moms here who know that a little child needs a mother, needs to be nurtured. And here there's something in Mary that recognizes that and she says, yes, I will be a mother for the Lord. She continues and says, I will be a mother for the Lord. As his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. 
I read a book the other day where the author was touching on the parable of the talents. I can't tell you the title of the book because I'm not sure which book it was, okay? There was a few books I was reading, but uh, in this one, he was talking about the, the, the parable of the different talents and how two of the servants were given this response by the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter into the rest of your Lord. Incredible. I think every one of us, when we pass from this life to the next, would love to hear Jesus saying that to us. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter the rest of your Lord. But in this book, he said something that made me take note. He said this, I am not sure how many parents have told their children that their role in life is to be faithful servants of Jesus. As parents, have you done that? Have you told your children that their role in life is to be faithful servants of Jesus? You know, parents spend a lot of money on career guidance tests, on all kinds of aptitude tests in order to find out what is the best career for their child because they want their child to excel and to do well in life. But this is the call, looking at your child, looking at them in their eyes and saying, your role in life is to be a faithful servant of Jesus. Yes, you can be an actuary. Yes, you can be a nurse. Yes, you can be anything. But your role is to be a faithful servant of Jesus. Can I say that to you today, to every one of you here? Your role in life is to be a faithful servant of Jesus. God's divine interventions involve ordinary people who have a heart attitude like Mary's. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. So divine intervention number one was about a barren womb opened. Divine intervention number two is about a virgin with child. And divine intervention number three is our savior is born. Think for a moment about the following words spoken by the angel Gabriel in Luke 1 verse 31. And you shall call his name Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus means Savior. So the angel was saying, you shall call his name Savior. In Matthew chapter one, verse 20 to 21, an angel appeared to Joseph this time, to Joseph in a dream and said, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. I started off this message talking about Father's God's incredible love for us. He really, he really loves us. And if you have ever doubted God's love, maybe you've been through a trial or a trauma or a difficult time in your life and it's caused you to, in that moment to, to doubt whether he even loves you. Please will you let the knowledge that he sent his only son into the world because he wanted to save you and me from our sins. That's the extent of the Father's love for you. In the book, Pilgrim's Progress, we read about a man named Christian who is burdened by his sin. His sin in this book is depicted as a big burden strapped to his back. 
causing him such great distress that he goes on a pilgrimage to find out how can he get relief from this burden? How can he get it removed? So here is an extract from the book. Uh, it is written in Old English, but I, I think that the Old English makes this extract even better, even richer. So it talks about him going uphill, and listen to this. It says, he ran thus till he came at a place somewhat ascending. I like that, though. He ran thus till he came at a place somewhat ascending. And upon that place stood a cross. And a little below in the bottom, a sepulcher, that is a tomb. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosed off from his shoulders and fell from off his back and began to tumble and so continued to do till it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in and I saw it no more. Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart, he hath given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Friends, this is why Father God sent his son to earth, because he wanted you and me to be saved from our sins. Have you ever struggled with sin? Or maybe struggled with one particular sin, and it has felt like a burden strapped to your back, something that you're always repenting to the Lord, and you're just struggling to get breakthrough, and it just feels wearisome, and it actually brings distress, and you long, and you long, and you long to be free of it. Now, we serve a God who loves his children to be free. And in this story, we read that the freedom is found at the cross. And God can take that sin burden off your shoulders today, and he can cause it to roll down that hill, down and down and down and down into the tomb where it is no more. If that is you today, say to the Lord, Lord, please do it for me. You know what it is. You know what it is. Lord, I don't want it in my life anymore. I want to be free. He will hear your cry. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the Lord. We all have sinned, every one of us. Every one of us needs a savior. Now, many religions will teach that in order to get freedom from sin or to get saved or whatever they refer to, they will often talk about lots of acts of duty and lots of works and things that you have to do. And... Uh, um, some even have long lists of rules and regulations that need to be obeyed in order to be saved. But we as Christians know that all our works, all our works that we use to try and gain salvation are as filthy rags in the sight of the Lord. We can't save ourselves. We need a savior. God also knows that we can't save ourselves and that is why he sent us a savior. So yes, at Christmas time, we remember the birth of our savior, Jesus. But we do well, we will do very well if we also remember his death. Because it is by his blood that our sins are atoned for. Family and friends, Jesus was born to die. He was born to die. He died so that we may live. Now, in the Message Bible, in 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 15, 
the Apostle Paul writes, and he says the following. It's quite incredible. He says here, here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Can you hear his heart? His heart is to save sinners. Then he says this, I'm proof, public sinner number one, of someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy. Paul needed sheer mercy to get saved, and so do we. And now he shows me off, says Paul. He shows me off as evidence of his endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. If you are here, if you're watching, and you're right on the edge of trusting him forever, you haven't put your faith in him, you know that. I want to encourage you after this service to go into your room, find a quiet place, get on your knees, talk to the Lord, tell him that you're sorry for the things that you've done that have been sinful, repent of them, and then say, Jesus, I really need you to be my savior. I invite you into my heart and I give my life to you. A simple prayer like that from a heart that is sincere will cause you to become born again. The Lord will come in, his spirit will come in, and he will transform your life. Now, I once read a book titled Peace Child by Don Richardson. Uh, in the 1960s, Don and his wife Carol were missionaries to the Sawi people of New Guinea. They lived between three different Sawi tribes and they provided medical care as they uh, slowly but surely were, were learning their culture and were learning their language. But their deep desire was to find a way to help the Sawi people understand that there's a God who loves them and to tell them about Jesus and how Jesus can save them. Now, they actually risked their lives by going to this specific mission field because the Sawi people were headhunters and cannibals. Can I have any volunteers for our outreach to New Guinea? No, no arms, no, not, none, okay. But they were headhunters and cannibals, and the tricky thing with them was that they actually, they valued treachery, okay? So for them, if they could deceive someone, then that was cool, okay? So what they would do is they would befriend people and make friends with them and eat together. But in actual fact, they were just fattening the person up <laughs> until they ate them. Really, that's what they would do, okay? So they, they, they weren't the safest tribe to go to. And you can imagine that in an area like that, there was a lot of fighting between the tribes because they lived by the law of revenge. So if one tribe attacked someone in this tribe, then this tribe was bound by the law of revenge to attack someone in this tribe. So this was a place where there was a lot of loss of life and many injuries. But very carefully, Don began to tell them the gospel story, slowly but surely, telling them God's story. And uh, he was yet to gain a breakthrough. His lowest point, he tells in the book, he says his lowest point was when the Sawi people made Judas to be a hero. <laughs> really. They thought Judas was amazing because Judas had betrayed Jesus. And they thought that how he betrayed him was just so wonderful, and so Judas was amazing. So Don and his wife Carol prayed a lot, and they said, Lord, we don't know what to do. We need you to show us the key. They prayed for the key. Lord, we need to show us the key to tell these people about you. 
Sure. Anyway, it was a short while later that a fight broke out between two of the Sawi tribes that they were living amongst close by. And so they were here in this tribe and this tribe, and uh, a fight had broken up, and en masse, the two tribes had gathered. And the tension in the air was palpable, and uh, Don was here with one of the people from one of the tribes, and uh, there was just lots of hostility in the air. And out of this one tribe ran a man with his six-month baby boy. He ran across to the other tribe, and he placed his six-month baby son in the hands of one of the leaders of the other tribe. Now, Pastor Simon here, him and his wife, Gita, have just had a baby boy called Luca. He's two weeks old. And uh, so can you imagine six months' time, hey? And Simon, you put your boy in the hands of someone from an enemy tribe. And as he did that, someone from the other tribe ran forward with his baby son and placed his son in this man's hands, and he ran back to his tribe. So Don is watching all of this, and he says to the person, he says, what is happening here? The man says to him, you have been teaching us and urging us to make peace all along. Don't you know that you cannot have peace without a peace child? Don said to him, what will happen to the boys? He says, don't worry, those boys are gonna be looked after really well. The people will actually take care of them because remember, they don't go back. This family will raise this one's son. This family will raise this one's son. He says they will take care of them better than their own children because they are peace children. And as long as these children are alive, there will always be peace between these two villages. Incredible story. In that moment, Don knew that God had answered their prayer and that he had given them the key to reach the Sawi people. It was a couple of days later that he explained to them that Jesus was a peace child from God. When he explained how God had made a way for them to experience peace with God by sending his son, everything changed. Their lights went on and a few things happened. Firstly, they lost all admiration for Judas. Praise the Lord. They lost admiration for Judas because Judas had betrayed a peace child and that was the very worst thing that anyone could do was to betray a peace child. It was like a, you just didn't, you never did that. Okay, so they lost admiration for Judas. Secondly, they understood the father's heart for they knew what it took to give a child away. You know, this father that realized, if I didn't do this, there's going to be loss of life. So he gave his son, ran across to this leader, placed his son in this leader's. This man ran, placed his son. They knew what it was like to give a child away. So their understanding of Father God's love in sending his son, it opened their eyes. The third thing that happened was they they realized that the father's peace child was superior to theirs because Jesus can never die. He has risen. Don had explained that Jesus had risen. He can never die. So they realized that God's peace child was superior to theirs. Family and friends, Jesus is alive. He is the living God. 
Because he lives, let us think him, because he lives, our covenant of peace with the Father is everlasting. We are at peace with God because Jesus lives. The Lord's birth, the Lord's death, and the Lord's resurrection are the most significant divine interventions in the history of the world. Let us pray. Father, I just thank you for your word, and I thank you, Lord God, that as we ponder on your story, Lord, it just, it almost detoxes us of the, of the things of this world that burden us. And uh, we just realize, Lord God, that you are sovereign and that you are at work. And Lord, we thank you for the faith that has risen up in our hearts as we consider your divine intervention in ushering in your son, Jesus. We thank you for the barren womb that was opened. We thank you for the virgin who was with child. We thank you that our Savior was born. And we thank you, Lord, that he was born with a mission. He was born to save us from our sins. Lord God, each one of us are in need of salvation. Lord God, we are in need of salvation. We tell you, Lord, we are in need of salvation. And we thank you. We thank you for sending your son who would die for us but rise again. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the peace child. We thank you that you are the peace child guaranteeing us peace with the Father. Thank you that we never need to fear his wrath again because Jesus is the peace child and that we can live in the Father's love with great freedom and joy. In Jesus' name.